to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Amen. All right, so we're in this series in the book of Ezekiel, and today, let me tell you, we have with us someone who I deeply, deeply love. This is Miss Lynn Slaughter. Everybody say hi to Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Now, uh, I asked her, I woke up this morning, and Miss Lynn, I had you on my heart when I woke up, and I said, I want Miss Lynn to be the one who reads our scripture. Uh, if you've never met her, you need to meet her. Her story is incredible. Her heart is incredible. She's a giver. She's a lover. She's a, a follower of Jesus. And we're excited that you're a part of our church. So Ezekiel chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 21. And this is in the NLT. This is your microphone. Have at it, my sister. <laughs> You want me to hold that? You want me to hold that for you? I'll hold it for you. You want me to hold? I'll hold it for you. I'm happy to serve you. Um, okay. I'm reading uh, Ezekiel 11, chapter 1 through 17. Through 21. <laughs> don't try to get out of. Don't try to shortchange us. All right. Okay. Here uh, we go. I'll, 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 you got it. Okay. Good. <laughs> Then the Spirit lifted me and brought me to the east gateway of the Lord's temple, where I saw 25 prominent men of the city. Among them were Jezaniah, son of Azur, and Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, who were leaders among the people. The Spirit said to me, Son of man, these are the men who are planning evil and giving wicked counsel in this city. They say to the people, is this not a good time to build houses? This city is like an iron pot. We are safe inside it like meat in a pot. Therefore, son of man, prophecy against them loudly and clearly. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon me and he told me to say, this is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. I know what you are saying, for I know every thought that comes into your minds. You have murdered many in the city and filled the streets with the dead. Therefore, it is what the sovereign Lord says. This city is an iron pot, all right, but the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. Just for you, I will soon drag you from this pot. I will bring on you the sword of war, so you greatly fear says the sovereign Lord. I will drive you out of Jerusalem and hand you over to the foreigners who will carry out my judgments against you. You will be slaughtered all the way to the borders of Israel. I will execute judgment on you and you will know that I am the Lord. No, this city will not be an iron pot for you and you will not be like meat safe inside of it. I will judge you even to the borders of Israel. And you will know that I am the Lord, for you have refused to obey my decrees and regulations. Instead, you have copied the standards of the nations 
around you. While I still prophesizing, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, suddenly died. And I fell face down on the ground and cried out, O oh, sovereign, sovereign Lord, you are going to kill everyone in Israel, the promise and restoration of renewal. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the people still left in Jerusalem are talking about you and your relatives and all the people of Israel who are in exile. They are saying, those people are far away from the Lord. So now he has given their land to us. Therefore, tell the exiles, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I have scattered you into the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary to you during your time in exile. I, the sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel once again. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols. I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsible heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. But as for those who long for vile images and detestable idols, I will repay them fully for their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Great job. Great job. Great job. We should just stop the sermon right there. That was amazing. Um, when Justice, my 17-year-old now, soon to turn 18, was about six or seven years old, we had what we would call daddy dates, where I would go and just hang out with just him. Usually we go to Chili's, because we like the chips and queso at Chili's. And we started a tradition called the question game. It's not a very elaborate game. There aren't a lot of rules. There's really only one. Whatever I ask you, you have to answer. And whatever you ask me, I have to answer. And so we created this game. And really the purpose of it was I wanted to have open dialogue with justice. I wanted there to be no limits that were off limits, or no subjects that were off limits with him. I wanted to be able to talk with him about anything. And I wanted him to be able to talk with me about anything. I remember this one time when I was about 35 years old, my dad made this passing comment. Uh, he's, he, we were just talking about something random, and he said, yeah, that happened in 1987. That's the year we almost lost the house. Anyway, and he just kept talking. I was like, we almost lost the house in 1980? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we almost lost it. And I didn't have that kind of dialogue with my dad, so I wanted that with justice. So we created this question game. Also, there's two reasons. The second reason is one of my biggest pet peeves in life is when you sit down to lunch with someone and you ask them some questions and they answer and they never ask you any questions, right? You ever have this where it's like just like this like black hole 
of like, you're just, I'm sitting down with you. We're here to connect with each other, to get to know each other. And I've asked you questions and you asked me nothing. It tells me you don't want to know anything about me, right? Uh, and I think the questions that we ask really reveal a lot about who we are as a person. So we started this question game uh, and we would ask silly questions like this one. Um, would you rather eat one gallon of mayonnaise or one spoonful of the hottest hot sauce on the planet? How many say you'd go for the mayonnaise? Okay, you guys are gross. How many would say you'd go for the hot sauce? Brave, way to go, okay. How about this? Would you rather fight a squirrel-sized rhino or a rhino-sized squirrel? All right, how many say you would, ra- you would like to fight the squirrel-sized rhino? He's gonna poke you to death. You know he's gonna get you. Okay, how many say you'll fight that rhino-sized squirrel even if he chews on you like a little nut, right? Uh, how about this one? Would you rather have fingers for toes or toes for fingers? <laughs> These are the kinds of questions that matter. <laughs> um, we would ask silly questions like that. We would ask questions, uh, serious questions, like what do you want to be when you grow up? When Justice was six, he wanted to be a race car driver. Uh, when he was 10, he decided he was going to be the general manager for the Denver Broncos. How many would say they need some help right now, right? Uh, and now if you ask him, he'll tell you he wants to be a lawyer for the UN, right? So dream smaller. I mean, that's incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you, buddy. Um, we would ask questions like this. Do you have any secrets? that your mom and dad don't know about? I would ask Justice this question. Just this morning, as I was preparing, Judah came into my little office in my, in my house, and I said, Judah, let me ask you this question. And I said, do you have any secrets that your mom and dad don't know about? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, do you want to tell me what they are? He goes, I can show you. And I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know what's about to happen. So he brought me into the living room, and underneath the couch are hundreds of candy wrappers. This is where Judah hides his candy wrappers. And he goes, he goes it's been weighing on me, Dad. <laughs> it was precious. A couple weeks ago, I went to a basketball game with Jonah Janish, Justice, and uh, John Janish. Justice and Jonah have been friends since they were little, little. They were part of the J Club. You remember the J Club, Justice? Uh, And so anyway, they were in the back seat. Me and John were in the front. We were talking, and I overheard something that Jonah said, and I just had to get into the conversation. You ever have that? Jonah was talking to Justice about how he gets girls. Okay? He was telling Justice all about his strategy for how to get girls. And it all starts with Jonah. It all starts with a question. Every girl that he's interested in, he will ask them this question. He says, who would win in a fight, Kung Fu Panda or Batman? Okay, now here's his strategy. His strategy is whatever she says, he's going to argue the alternative. Okay, so if she says Kung Fu Panda, he's like, no way, it's Batman, you're wrong. And they get into a debate. If she says it's Batman, he says, you're crazy, it's Kung Fu Panda, obviously. They get into a debate. And his answer was, soon enough, I say, why don't we watch all the movies together and we can decide for ourselves. (laughs) And before you know it, she's at my house, we're cuddling, watching a movie, I got a girlfriend. (laughs) All from a question. He also said parenthetically, by the way, we all know the answer is Batman, right? And so, you know, that, that's Jonah Janish, and that's the question game. So today, we just read this long passage, right? 
And when I studied this passage a few weeks ago, I felt like there were five really big questions that just jumped off the page to me as I read this scripture. Five questions that I want us to wrestle with. So look, this is a day for note taking. This is a day for pulling out your phone and writing these questions down because what I want you to do with these five questions is spend time with Jesus this week. Spend time with the Lord and ask these questions of yourself uh, to the Lord. Ask your spouse if you're married. Ask some of your friends if you're single. Talk about these questions because I really think that there's some depth to these questions. So let's look back at this. Ezekiel 11. Verse 1, it says, Then the Spirit lifted me and brought me to the east gateway of the Lord's temple. Now, just so we're clear, Ezekiel is writing this from Babylonian exile, right? That's where he's at. All of Jerusalem has been, uh, you know, disheveled, decimated, destroyed. There's nothing hardly left. It's in rubble. Uh, And he is in, in... the Babylonian exile with the rest of his people. But the Lord kind of teleports him to the temple in Jerusalem. And he sees 25 prominent men of the city. Among them, Jazaniah, son of Azur, Palathia, son of Benaiah, who were leaders among the people. And then the spirit said to him, son of man, these guys, these 25 prominent men who are planning evil and giving wicked counsel in this city, they say to the people, is it not a good time to build houses? Imagine this. They're in the rubble of Jerusalem, and they're going, you know what? This is some good real estate right here, right? Uh, This city is like an iron pot. We are safe inside it, like meat in a pot. It's a weird analogy in, in this whole chapter 11. The idea of it is that the walls of Jerusalem are like an iron pot, and the food that's inside of it is supposed to be safe. This is their analogy. So verse 4 says, Therefore, son of man, prophesy against them loudly and clearly. And I couldn't help but think about Forrest Gump when I read this. Mama always said, stupid is as stupid does. This is so dumb. These people in this moment have decided very clearly that they are going to try to build back better what had happened in Jerusalem, what God had decimated, what God had intentionally destroyed. They said, you know what? We got a great plan. Let's go ahead and build it back. Let's go ahead and build it back. So what life lessons did the Israelite people still left in Jerusalem learn from what had happened? They didn't learn anything. These 25 prominent men, by the way, The whole nation was prominent before the exile. The whole nation was prominent before the Lord said, enough. I've had enough of your idolatry. I've had enough of the way that you're living your life. I've had enough of your false praise. Enough. I have to remove you from the equation. We talked about this last week. These people that are still there that kind of hid out during the exile and are now still in Jerusalem, they haven't learned anything. They just wanted to get back to normal back to normal. I have a little sticker on my computer, and it says, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. (laughs) And I think that's really important to realize, especially, you know, post-COVID, right? All of us, somewhere around 2021, summer of 2021, we're like, dude, when do we get back to normal, right? And I'm not in any way going to compare COVID to what happened in this Babylonian exile, but that's the experience that they were having. They were thinking to themselves, all right, cool. A lot of people are in exile, so what about them? We're here in Jerusalem, let's make some money. Let's let's go ahead and build for ourselves. And God's like, you know, you don't get it because your normal was an abomination to me. Your normal, what you call normal, was offensive to me. There's a reason that the walls are in rubble. There's a reason that the streets are laden with bones. 
There's a reason why this has happened. What you call normal is offensive to me. God never wanted his people to be normal. He wanted them to be exemplary. He wanted Israel to stand in the center of all these other nations as a lighthouse for the glory of God. He wanted for his people to stand out, not to fit in, but to stand out. And God had to put this this entire situation to an end because they were spending all their time comparing themselves to what everybody else was doing. And so when God puts an end to something, we got to let it be the end. When God puts an end to something, when God closes a door in your life, let it stay closed. Look at these questions. Why do we do this? Why do we keep returning to the habits and the patterns that have only ever led us to ruin? Why do you do it? Why do you turn back to things that didn't work for you in the first place? Why do you, why do you wake up one morning and say, never again? I'm never going to do that again. And then three weeks later, find yourself in the same spot. Why do you do it? Why do you keep turning back to what you call normal? The Bible says this, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I didn't write it. That's in, that's in the Bible. It's not from me. That's from the word, right? But like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. This is a real thing. You ever seen a dog do this? It's super gross, right? Like, no, I'm never kissing you again, Charlie. Sorry, right? Like, it's not going to happen. Uh, and so, the, you know, this is what the Bible says. That's why my favorite verse in the whole Bible, the, my life verse, is Galatians 5.16. I think it says so much about the Christian faith and the Christian life. It says this, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here's what I love about that scripture. It's not lollipops and rainbows. It's not like as soon as you become a Christian, everything's great, and you're going to be righteous, and everything you think and everything you say is going to be wonderful and holy. You're going to be perfect. No. As soon as you accept the salvation that comes with the cross, the salvation that comes with a free gift from Jesus, as soon as you accept that, you're entering into a new battle, the battle of your flesh and your spirit. You've heard the old preacher thing, right? It, there's two dogs in the backyard, your flesh and your spirit. Which one is going to live? Whichever one you feed the most, right? If you feed your spirit, that's the one that's going to be stronger. If you feed your flesh, your spirit's going to be in trouble, right? So I say live by the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can I just tell you, Christians, you have lust in your flesh, and it ain't going anywhere, Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, you're going to be tempted. This afternoon, somebody's going to cut you off on I-25, and that finger is going to be raring to go, (laughs) right? Like something in your life is going to happen, and you are going to be tempted. That is the promise of Christianity. That's what I love about this. Take the pressure off. You're not supposed to be perfect, but you do need to live by the Spirit. You have to choose not the old normal, but the new reality, right? So let's play the question game. Here's the question I want you to write down. This is the, the first of five. What does God want to put an end to in your life? Maybe it's a pattern, a habit. Maybe um, it's a relationship. Um, maybe it's a struggle. Um, Maybe it's an old, just an old dispensation, something that you used to do before you knew Christ. Maybe it's a job. I don't know. I can't answer that question for you, but the first thing that you thought of when you saw that question, you need to wrestle with it this week. What does God want to put an end to in your life? Amen?
Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he told me to say this. He says, this is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. I know what you are saying. Look at this phrase. For I know every thought that comes into your minds. You have murdered many in this city and filled its streets with the dead. That phrase just jumps off the page to me. I know every thought that comes into your mind. That is a good news, bad news situation. Am I right? I know every thought. Here's the good news. You don't have to pretend with God. Man, we live in a world that's so built on pretense, don't we? We just constantly have to kind of figure out, okay, who do I need to be in this moment? And how do I need to act in this moment? How do I need to behave here? The Lord knows everything about you. That's why I think, you know, I've told you before, Judah had this very famous prayer. We were praying about COVID and about all the problems in the world, and I was trying to explain to him the nuances of the situation. He was five years old. He goes, dad, 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 I got it. And he goes, Jesus, fix it. Amen. That was the whole prayer. Beautiful prayer, right? Why? Because Jesus already knows all the nuance. You don't have to convince Jesus to do anything. You don't have to convince him of what's going on with you. Just say, Lord, oh, you know my thoughts. You know my story. You know my situation. Fix it, Lord, right? That's the good news. God knows all of our thoughts, all of them. So you're not going to be able to fool him. You want some bad news? Here's some bad news. God knows all your thoughts, all of them. You're not going to be able to fool him, right? There's, you have no shot at convincing God that what you know was wrong was actually uh, justifiable, right? You got no shot. You're not going to be able to convince him because he knows all your thoughts. Mark Twain said this. I love this quote. He said, what a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself all day long. The mill of his brain is grinding, and his thoughts, not those other things, are his history. What's he saying? He's saying we can document our time on earth not by the things that we did, but by the thoughts that propelled us into action. Your thoughts are very, very important, very precious. God knows your thoughts. Uh, We've learned so much in the last 10 to 20 years. We've learned so much about neural science. We've learned about um, uh, pleasure centers and trauma centers and memory paths. We've learned about the endorphins that are released when we experience happiness and sorrow and contentment and approval. There's a lot going on in your brain, right? Uh, the, The same endorphins that are released in the pleasure center of the brain when a hit of dopamine is introduced into our system is what we experience when we get a like a comment, or a follow on social media. So what's happening in our culture is we're turning our kids into crack addicts. I mean, real talk. We're turning our kids, every time they ding, a little pleasure center goes off in their brain. Oh, and it makes them feel like, oh, I'm, I'm somebody. I'm important, right? And so our thoughts are so important. Observers of this reality draw attention to this fact with great fear, concern, and trepidation. It's absolutely crucial, listen to this, that the human being pay attention to its thoughts. And in this way, science is catching up to the Bible because the Bible has a lot to say about your thoughts. We just saw Ezekiel, I know every thought that comes into your minds. And so what what, what God would say to us in the Bible is that long before we act, we think. Long before we indulge, we investigate. Long before we fall into sin, we fantasize about it first. Come on, isn't this true? Like our thoughts are are already there 
before we actually commit the act. And you know what act I'm talking about, whatever it is in your life, whatever that thing is that you find yourself, oh, I did it again. I'm here again. About six hours ago, your thoughts started shaking you, right? Your thoughts started shaping you and pushing you to that place. Look at Mark chapter 7. This is Jesus talking. He says, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things, they come from within, not from without. They are what defiles you. Look at this. It is fundamentally important to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Does that make sense? It's fundamentally important for you to take stock of your thoughts. Because long before you get to that place where you're the dog licking up your own vomit, returning to your own folly, long before you get to that place, there's stuff happening in your mind. There's thoughts going on inside of you. And you've got to figure out how to master those thoughts. So here's some questions. This, these aren't, this isn't one of the five. But what thoughts are constantly provoking you to sinfulness? What are the triggers for you? What are the triggers that lead you to that place? I know you hate it. I know you wake up the next morning again and say, ugh, never again. I don't want to do this again, right? You get, all of us get to that place. So what are the thoughts that are provoking you? What are the thoughts that are constantly drawing you into negativity and complaint? What are the thoughts that are dragging you back to your old nature? Look at this in 2 Corinthians. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, those arguments that are happening in your mind. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to think about your thoughts. Think about the thoughts that you're having. Think about the thoughts that just destroy you, the thoughts that lead you into that ruin, the thoughts that lead you down that road that you don't want to go on. And figure out for yourself how to replace self-indulgence with God-centeredness. That's the life of a Christian. This is what Philippians says. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I mean, listen, I know some of you in the room don't want to admit it, but you're a negative Nancy, okay? That's okay. The people next to you know, right? You're a negative Nancy, and you, and you call yourself a leader because you just see everything that's wrong, and somebody ought to fix it, right? I get it. But what if you replace some of those negative thoughts with things that are lovely, with things that are honorable, with things that are pure, things that are true. If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts are going to take you captive. Isn't that true? So, question game. Here's your question. Number two. What thoughts need to be corrected in your life? What thoughts need to be corrected in your life. I heard someone say the other day, and I love this. They were talking about how we come to understand our story the older we get. And he said this. He said, as a Christian, what you want to do is, first, you want to collect the dots, okay? You want to collect all the little things that make you you. I grew up in Louisiana. I went to an all-black high school. I was the only white kid there. I listened to hip-hop until I was in college. Like, these are the things that make me me, right? Uh, So you're collecting all the dots, 
And then once you start collecting them, then you start connecting all the dots. Oh, that's why this, God did this so that I'd be ready for this. And that's why he allowed this thing to happen to me so that I'd be ready for this moment. You're connecting the dots. And then you have to start correcting the dots. Because just because this thing happened in my life doesn't mean it's necessarily righteous. I love Biggie Smalls. I don't need to be saying all the lyrics that he says in all of his songs, okay? I'm a big fan. Oh, but I can't, you know, I can't just be going through my day, you know, saying all the Biggie Smalls. We had a moment this morning during soundcheck where we said all of it was all a dream. I know it all, word for word. Now all of it's good for me. So what thoughts, <laughs> what thoughts need to be corrected in your life? And just hold your hands out. You know, hold your hands out hum- with humility and say, Lord, would you speak to me about this? What thoughts in my life need to be corrected? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This city is an iron pot. It is a big pot. It is a building. Um, but the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. As for you, I will soon drag you from this pot. God's going to use their metaphor against them. I will bring on you the sword of war you so greatly fear, says the sovereign Lord. I will drive you out of Jerusalem and hand you over to foreigners who will carry out my judgments against you. You will be slaughtered. That's why I thought of you this morning, Miss Lynn. Lynn, slaughter. You will be slaughtered all the way to the borders of Israel. I will execute judgment on you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Look at this. No, this city will not be an iron pot for you. And you will not be like meat, safe inside it. I will judge you, even to the borders of Israel. And you will know that I am the Lord, for you have refused to obey my decrees and regulations. This is the phrase. Instead, you have copied the standards of the nations around you. You have copied the standards of the nations around you. Now, you've heard me say every week of this Ezekiel uh, uh, experience together that the Bible, your Bible, is not two books. It's not Old Testament and New Testament. It's one book. It's one narrative, right? It is the story of a holy God who set apart a people for himself, and he did whatever it took to unite his glory with their story. In this moment of the narrative, you know what he had to do to unite his glory with their story? He had to remove them from Israel. He had to decimate Israel in order to unite them back with his glory. You have copied the standards of the nations around you. I don't know about you, but like for me, when I see people that are like winning at life, like winning, when I see people that like have a lot of money, a lot of success, a lot of fame, I go, well, I, I want to have it. Can I have some of that? Right? I'll, I'll, whatever it takes, I'll do that. I, I want to, right? Like we have that kind of wanderlust in our souls. And one thing that most preachers won't tell you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and that is this. Sin's pretty fun. Nobody wants to say amen? Okay. Right, Sin. Sin's fun. It is. It's fun. It's enjoyable, it's exciting, it's enthralling. It makes us feel like we have control, right? It makes us feel invincible. It makes us feel good for a moment. But here's what those people that you compare yourself to, here's what they won't tell you, is that sin comes with consequences. Always, every time. Premarital sex, what's the consequence? Little baby, little Richie Jr., right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's what happens, right? I mean, that, sin comes with consequences. And even after you've accepted the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ and he's forgiven you of all your sins, you're going to still live with some of your consequences. Somebody want to say amen? Isn't that true? And so 
Uh, that's why we have to think about what the Bible has to say because God prescribes for us his very best. I think if you can choose to look at the Bible through that lens, instead of uh, the lens of like God is like the fun police in the sky who's trying to keep you from having any fun the rest of your life, just trying to make you feel like no, 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 no to all the things that seem fun, that's not God. God is a God who wants his very best for you. He sees all, he knows all, he understands all, and so he prescribes for you a life that will be so good for you. He doesn't need anything from you. He only wants good for you. So every law, every precept, every ordinance, every commandment in your Bible is evidence of his great love for you. It's not him being the fun police. It's him being a father who wants what's best for you. Romans says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So here's the message. We are to live sent into this world. We are not to consent to this world. This world has tons of standards and morals and values that they constantly want to put onto us, right? This is what good is today. Oh, next week it'll be something different. The week after that it'll be something different. So live up to that. God says, I want you not to be conformed to the rhythms of this world, but to find your meaning, to find your purpose, your identity, your direction in me. And what I say is good for you. Find your purpose in that. Really kind of the, the, the cleanest way to say it is God wants us to stand out, not to fit in. I was talking with a college recruiter uh, last year, and I was talking to him about his process. How does he find the right students for his school? And he said, it's really hard because what we find is that most high school students, and I'm looking at this row right here, okay? Most high school students do their very best to fit in, to just kind of never be seen. Don't notice me. I'm not even here, right? They just want to fit in. What are college recruiters looking for? They're looking for people that will stand out. So if you're working so hard to fit in, then you're never going to stand out. That's God's message for us. Christian, you are not meant to fit into this world. You are meant to stand out. Don't copy the patterns and the standards of the world around you. Choose to stand out. So in what ways do you measure your worth in comparison to worldly values? In what ways do you say, I'm not good enough because, I don't have enough because, I'm not smart enough because? In what ways do you indulge in worldly values in order to fit in with worldly people? That's a deep question because our job as Christians is to go and be, you know, a part of the world, to go love people. I say all the time, I'm not so concerned about getting everybody out there in here. I'm deeply concerned with getting all of you out there living on mission for Jesus, right? So if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to interact with worldly people. But are you going to indulge in worldly values? That's the question. God's purpose for his people is that we experience and demonstrate his glory to a watching world. So here's the question game question. What worldly ways do you need to turn away from in your life? The first thing that you thought of is the right answer, <laughs> okay? The first thought that came into your mind is the right answer. What worldly ways do you need to turn away from in your life? Two more. Verse 13, while I was still prophesying, Palladia, son of Benaiah, 
suddenly died. That's the end of his story. Uh, Then I fell face down on the ground and cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone in Jerusalem? Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the people still left in Jerusalem are talking about you and your relatives and all the people of Israel are, who, are in ex, who, are, sorry, who are in exile. They're saying, those people are far away from the Lord. So now he's given their land to us. Therefore, tell the exiles. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I have scattered you in the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary to you. That's the phrase. I will be a sanctuary to you during your time in exile. I, the sovereign Lord, will gather you back from the nations where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel once again. Here's the point I want to make. Sanctuary is not a place. It's a person. I've never in my, in my time as your lead pastor wanted to have a building more than I do right now. Watching what happened in Asbury, watching the way revival is breaking out across the country, I've never wanted to have a building right? Where we could all gather and worship on a random Wednesday night, never than before than right now. I desperately want that. So let's just start a capital campaign today. Everybody pull out your wallets. (laughs) Just joking. Um, But what God is saying to us, and I think it's always been his message, is that the temple of the Lord is now our hearts, and sanctuary is what we find when we connect with him. Sanctuary is not a place. It's a person. So you show me what you turn to, when times get rough, and I'll show you who your God is, right? Who's your sanctuary? Where is your sanctuary? What is your sanctuary? God says, I'll be your sanctuary if you'll let me. Do you turn to pleasure? Do you go looking for a good feeling to outshout the bad ones? Do you turn to control? Do you go looking for something to have dominion over when you can't control your own life? I, that's that's kind of my, that's my vice, I suppose. Whenever I feel like things are out of control, I look for one thing that I can grab a hold of. And it's sin. It's me desperately wanting to have control over anything when the Lord's saying, will you just surrender? Will you let me be your sanctuary? Do you turn to anger? Do you lash out at innocent people when you can't change what's hurting you? Do you turn to escapism? Do you do whatever it takes to numb you from what's hurting? Right? God wants us to turn not to a place Not to pleasure, not to a pattern, but to him. He wants to be your sanctuary, and he knows you're going to need one. He knows you're going to need one. One of the greatest promises in all of the Bible is this one. It's in John 16. He says, in this world, you might have trouble. Is that what it says? In this world, you will have troubles of many kinds, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me be your sanctuary. Turn to me. So here's your question. Number four, what false securities do you need to turn from in order to turn to God? We're talking about the deepest parts of your hearts right here, the deepest part of who you are. What do you turn to when things are crazy, when stuff's out of control? God says, turn to me. Turn to me. Let me be your sanctuary. Here's the last one. The last couple of verses. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols. And I'll give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I'll take away their stony, stubborn heart and I'll give them a tender, responsive heart. These are your gods, Israel, who's brought you out of Egypt. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. 
But as for you, sorry, but as for those who long for vile images and detestable idols, I will repay them fully for their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken this, have spoken. Now, the, the phrase that jumped out to me as I read this was singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. There was a, <clears throat> I'm going to grab your guitar here, Cam. There was a song back in the early 2000s um, that I love. It's a Charlie Hall song. Uh, man, this is a, a, a little bad. Man, goodness. I'm going to play it up here. <laughs> Um, this is how it went. It said, uh, single-minded, wholehearted, one thing I ask is to be single-minded, oh, wholehearted, one thing I ask that I may gaze upon your beauty, O Lord, and that I might seek your holy face, and that I may know you in an intimate way, and follow after you all of my days, and follow after you all of my days. We sing that together. Come on, we sing it. Single-minded, wholehearted. One thing I ask is to be single-minded, wholehearted. One thing I ask that I may gaze and that I may gaze upon your beauty, O Lord, and that I may seek your holy face, and that I may know you in an intimate way, and follow after you all of my days, and follow after you all of my days. Amen. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. That's what it's all about, that moment where you decide that it's just about me and Jesus, just about me and Jesus. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I'll be their God. So this is not a life motivated, dominated, and demonstrated by stubborn rebellion. That's what we see in the people of Israel. They're just so thick-headedly stubborn and rebellious, but rather a life that's motivated, animated, and demonstrated by real relationship with a good and holy God. He says, I'll take away your stony, your stiff, your heart, your broken heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart to the Lord, that when he speaks, that you'll listen, that when he speaks, that you'll obey, when he speaks, you'll follow. Corinthians says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Everybody say, 
ambassadors. Ambassadors. We're supposed to stand out, not fit in. Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's people were always supposed to stand out. You were never, ever supposed to fit in. So here's your question. Last question. Will you allow his power to be demonstrated through your life? Will you allow the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God to be demonstrated through your life? That's why we do the sending every week, guys. That's why we end every service with this declaration of who we are. It's why we say, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm restored, I'm broken, I'm mending, I'm called by the Lord. Send me and spend me, God. I want to be all yours. That's why we say it. That's why we do it. Believe it this week. I challenge you to ask yourself this week in your quiet time with the Lord, ask yourself these questions. What does God want to put an end to in your life? What thoughts need to be corrected in your life? What worldly ways do you need to turn away from in your life? What false securities do you need to turn from in order to turn to God? And will you allow his power to be demonstrated through your life? He says, I'll take away your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart so that you will obey my decrees and regulations, and then you'll truly be my people, and I'll be your God. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.